coming up on episode 71 of the Upful Life Podcast. Bad Creek! Say it like you're pissed! Bad Creek! It was also a time, right, when, uh, right around then, that uh, Jam Cruise was started which had a similar musical slant and improvisational energy. You probably know a lot of people considered and called Bear Creek and Jam Cruise um, and Jazz Fest the holy trinity of funk. People that would go to Jam Cruise would come to Bear Creek and all of us that went on both of those would go to the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival every year. And so this community of people was seeing each other a few times a year coming together, but it, it, you know, all of that stuff came out of Jazz Fest. You know, I always, Lyle and I always talked about with Bear Creek, how can we create the energy and the vibe of New Orleans Jazz Festival, not the festival itself, but the clubs at night? How do we create that energy, which was where, which was so incredible? And the music, you know, you know this music that you see after hours in New Orleans during Jazz Festival is so mind-blowing. You know, time and time again, you see something that you can't, that drops your jaw to the floor. There have been so many times when I've been in, you know, in Tipitina's or in the Maple Leaf or in the Blue Nile or certainly at One-Eyed Jacks where we used to do the Bear Creek All-Stars, you know, that you just felt like you were floating that it could never be recreated and that there was no place else on the whole planet that you wanted to be and you felt lucky to be there. Indeedy, welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is episode 71, coming at you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California. 71, we're having fun, on the run, headed for the spirit of Swanee. And we're so grateful you are tuning in. Podcast is proudly sponsored by IMAVL, also known as Independent Arts and Music of Asheville. IMAVL 
has been preserving and promoting the creative community in Asheville, North Carolina since 2012, gradually watching Asheville become one of the hottest music scenes in the country. IMAVL does all they can do to support those making noise in Asheville and archive history in the making. With live stream installations in several area venues, IMAVL streams shows six nights a week, often several shows on any given night. Making Asheville, North Carolina the very first city in the world with its music scene aggregated into one channel. Over 3,500 concerts in the archives, national to local acts. There's so much to explore. Not that long ago, IMAVL streamed seven stages across four days straight for the first annual multi-venue AVL Fest. Based out of the world-class Echo Mountain Recording Studios, IMAVL produces an original series called The Echo Sessions. It's six seasons deep on PBS with artists from Eric Krasno to La Special, Billy Strings, Leftover Sam and Marcus King, The Motet, and so many others. The streams are free to watch, a free service for the bands at each venue that IMAVL has production installed in. Now, IMAVL is a nonprofit, and fans can donate to their efforts to support the arts by heading to their website, imavl.com. Or you can scan a QR code on a recent show from the IMAVL archive. This organization is passionate about the city they live in and its amazing musical community. They've built such a community in a little valley in the mountains, and then IMAVL does what they can do to support their friends and family and share the magic of Asheville, North Carolina with the world. IMAVL.com. Don't stay home without it. Shout out to my man Josh Blake and the whole IMAVL team. We appreciate the support, the connection. Proud to be aligned with y'all. Up Full Life Podcast, Episode 70. back episode 71 two in a row wouldn't you know yep i had to go back to the live act picked it up right where we left off last episode 70 on the up full update this uh live performance into the great wide open 2023 it's like 20 minutes long it was in the show notes last week i'm on the mission we got to bring these belgian trap jazz lads to the u.s it is my dream to manifest, so I will be waving the flag from here to Brussels and back again until we make it happen. All right, so I appreciate everybody's support on this mission, whether I've been posted it on social, giving away stickers, talking about it in real life. All the musicians, all the fans, now we just need to get the promoters and the agents and however that industry red tape stuff works. But I have no doubt that world domination is... is Inevitable. Act. E-C-H-T, exclamation point, all caps. 
get familiar. Now the Upful update, well I just did one a couple days ago because we did the Papa Molly 70, we're doing this one 71, bang bang. So I'm not going to get too much into rehashing what has gone down since we last spoke. But you know, my wife says, I always got to promote, got to promote, got to let people know what you're up to, where to find you. So first things first, family, please, you picking up what I'm putting down on the Up For Life podcast, smash that subscribe button. Please tell a friend, get some more uh, folks to give us a listen here. And on that note, if you're really feeling it and you have the time and you're so inclined, please rate and review the Up For Life podcast. It's most effective on Apple Podcasts. But I'm grateful for any reviews and ratings on any podcast platforms of choice. It goes a long way in steering those algorithms in this direction, bringing new ears, new souls, new listeners to the Upful Life podcast. And my friends, that's a beautiful thing. You know what else is a beautiful thing? When I hear from the people. I love to hear from the people. You can hit me up directly. Holla at your boy. Send me an email at b.getz at upfullife.com. Let me know what you're thinking, what you like, what you're, what you're resonating with, any suggestions, constructive criticisms, recommendations, what have you. I would love to hear it, b.getz at upfullife.com. And if you drop me a note and tell me something you really liked about a particular pod, I'll enter you to win some lettuce praise gear, courtesy of my boy Joe W. out there in Hawaii. Shout out, Joe. You can also just screenshot a review you left. Um, and send that to my email and I'll enter you as well. Got a couple t-shirts left, couple hoodies left. So, uh, yeah, that's what's going on there. And lastly, but certainly not least, if, uh, you're so inclined and you want to send me a couple of dollars for making you holla, there is a support button at the top of upfullife.com. If you click on that, you can send a Venmo. If you don't want to use Venmo, just send me an email. Let me know. Hey, I want to send you a few bucks. I'm sure we can figure out an appropriate method to do so. Um, I still want to encourage people to slide through upfullife.com. That's home base for all things B-Gets. Uh, I gave you the rundown last time. There's lots of cool new articles. Judith Hill, a special... Kruder and Dorfmeister from Burning Man, Park City Song Summit, Maria Stark. Yeah, and I just put out that Papa Molly episode, episode 70, which included a tribute to both Russell Batiste and Brad Hauser. And now I'd like to actually segue into yet another eulogy and uh, tribute and celebration of life and legacy. But before I do that, I think I want to switch up the tune. So, yep, this was Ect, live in 2023. These boys are headed for the to the moon.
gonna do my best to get through this. It's hard when you're like watching him at Swanee with all his friends singing about God. But that's how I remember James Casey. Yeah, I, I guess I haven't really processed it all yet because when I planned to do this, I was not yet, uh, I didn't have this kind of reaction, but you know what? That's just what it is. So anyway, um, last episode, we sent off Russell Batiste and uh, Papa Molly sent off his friend Brad Hauser, and you might have noticed I didn't mention James Casey, not because I forgot, but because my friend is getting his own individual eulogy that I have not prepared remarks for, but I know what I need to say. James and I were not close friends, but we were friends. I mean, he was immediately warm and friendly from the first time I met him even before he started playing with Lettuce you know around 2010 or 11 whenever I first found out about him and he was just a part of the community the the, the community I'm looking at on stage uh, at Bear Creek 2013 the community that I found there and in New Orleans and then later through Trey um, you know he was ubiquitous in a lot of ways, and uh, it goes without saying the level of brilliance as a musician, um, but he was just a cool-ass dude, and he wasn't like somebody we partied with. He was a pretty clean liver. He liked his whiskey, but he didn't get into the bullshit, he was, and he, he had a connection to God, and he had a passion and, and mission with music, and he was a family man, and he was late in his life a husband. Um, he was a friend to many and you know, we know so much about these cats lives um, Because we're fans and we take an invested interest in whatever they want to share But James is the type of dude that knew about our lives remembered specifics about his his friends and fans lives and that's a lot of people when you're a musician as uh, popular and celebrated and you know well-traveled and all the things that James earned uh, over time through his genius, uh, you know, he encountered a lot of people and, and my understanding and my own experience is that he remembered the important shit. And I can remember this one time, uh, it was like a New Year's after show fish in New York City. I think it was the Heavy Pets were playing. James was kind of new on the scene, so not everybody in the room or hardly anybody even knew who he was. But he had his horn on his back and, uh, and the place was packed to the gills and I wanted to get up to the front you know, the pets are my boys and, and him and I had, had known each other for just a short while and he said just you know I'll be the fullback man hold on and he just worked his way through the crowd up to the front he had, b believe he ended up sitting in that night uh, he definitely sat in with the pets whether it was that night or not you have to excuse the fog of, of the past but all that to say uh, that little gesture was just kind of like the beginnings of uh, friendship that uh, you know I wrote about him numerous times in different jams and, and situations and, and jazz fest and Bear Creek of course excuse that little hiccup there Bear Creek was what I was saying there was like a commercial came on the YouTube and 
I bugged out for a second, but uh, I really, you know, I could listen to this, but I wanted to watch James and his friends in our happy place of the amphitheater stage at Swanee doing this gospel set, uh, which is basically the nth power, uh, the OG nth power with Weedy and Nigel, Nikki, Nate, Nick, plus uh, Roosevelt Collier and uh, James on vocals and tambourine, as well as uh, Aaron Boyd and Jennifer Hartswick and Alicia Shakur and Natalie Cressman. And like the horns are out of spotlight, but uh, naturally it's like, you know, the Shady horn, Horns, Zoid, and Benny, and, uh, actually this is 2013, so it was, uh, Igmar Thomas was playing trumpet, because Benny was on Pretty Lights Tour, and, uh, Jonathan Lloyd is playing trombone, and Andrew Block is on guitar, Chris Royal's on saxophone, and Schmeens, Adam Smirnoff from Lettuce. So this is the glory days, and, the, and, and it's appropriate that I chose this, uh, because we're gonna be talking a lot of Swanee. Um, with our guest today um, but I did want to say about James and and the friendship is that uh, you know over the years I covered him but we also maintained you know a friendship and when I got in trouble and I went away for that year and uh, when he first saw me again he was emotional and overcome and gave me this big hug and told me it was me he was worried about me and um and that he was concerned that, you know, he might never see me again because of the seriousness of the initial charges and situation. But I digress. And in that moment, I'm like, wow, this dude actually cares about me. Me, not the guy that writes about him on the Internet, the, the dude, the human being. And I know that sounds all like, duh, but no, not like, duh. When, when you recognize that in the people that you love and celebrate on stage, that they love you back even in minute ways it's a powerful thing and it makes the music and the experiences and the relationship and the connection that much deeper and more profound and i'm lucky to say fortunate to say i share that with numerous of my favorite musicians but james was one of them and uh you know the last time uh we spoke at length was for the podcast at the very beginning of the pandemic he had just moved to hawaii but had not yet been diagnosed and uh yeah you can check that out i'll link that in the show notes but uh you know it's the like, kind of the, the end of the chapter bef before times and he had a horrible bout that he fought off once um and then the cancer came back a second time and he did not make it and at the end of his life uh, if you watch the videos or uh, that he posted, uh, really just one at the end, and then uh, the missive for the GoFundMe towards the end of his life, you could tell the situation was really dire. And that whole time period was almost surreal to just know that this was going on and happening. And, you know, he got married at the end, and, and uh, his wife, Ayla, has just been a trooper for him through this whole journey. And my heart goes out to her and, of course, James' mom, who is just so strong. Um, I just have such love and admiration for everybody that was close to him and that lived this uh, with him in one capacity or another. And I, while I don't count myself among them, I prayed for James often. And I thought of him often 
And when he came back with Trey Band to the Greek, you might remember if you're on my social feeds that I was overcome with emotion when he took a solo during Blaze On and Alicia was quick on the draw and got the phone out and recorded it. And that's really the last time I ever saw him play the horn. And he just lit up all the whole Greek theater. Much like now, I was overcome. I could not really fight off the tears, and that was fine. At the time, that felt triumphant, but in retrospect, it was goodbye, and that's just so heavy. So uh, I'll wrap this up by saying I didn't talk much about Burning Man at the last episode because I kind of wanted to save it for the James thing. And yes, it was the announcement of Kruder and Dorfmeister's first time at Burning Man that really like lit a fire under us to like get out there. But then on that Monday... After Burning Man had already started, and we got news of James passing, it was absolutely written that we would take him to the Temple of the Heart. The same thing we did, I did, for my own father, which I told a detailed story about in a random rap episode, and we ended up taking Alicia's late father, who had passed away in the interim time between when we last went to Burning Man in 2019 and this time. And you know, certain things are best kept at Burning Man and not in the corny ass like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas shit. I mean sometimes the sometimes the experience is so powerful and so sacred and so personal that you don't necessarily tell people put it on social or it's just what happens there needs to stay there so I'm not going to talk about everything other than to say we found a picture of him I found a D'Angelo lyric because one of our shared passions and things we talked about was D'Angelo and our absolute adoration and adulation for his genius and and chapter in the pantheon of soul and r&b and hip-hop music and the fact that the first thing that james ever got trey was a vinyl of d'angelo voodoo my favorite album of all time any genre i'm saying james knew what the fuck time it was and wanted trey to know exactly what time it was um, and there's a funny Instagram from the pandemic where Trey is uh, talking about rhythm and meter on a pillow. And the first album he uses to in, uh, illustrate this concept is the voodoo vinyl that James had given him. But I digress. wanted to say that we put together a photograph and a lyrical quote and we took James to the temple. It was a very, very special, sacred and personal Thing that we did that you know I got a tremendous amount of closure from and I know that I took the prayers and thoughts and emotions and grief of many people that I spoke to directly before I went or s- several people I should say and then many others who I just collectively understood that they would like for me to bring theirs to because it goes without saying so many people in our little sliver of the universe loved James deeply as Nigel sings solo in the background here with Roosevelt Um, and I actually ran into someone who doesn't matter who it was but they're connected to our thing the La Cosa Nostra a sibling to somebody who made music with James for a long time she too was late going to the burn last minute and she too had brought a photo among other things to bring to the temple to mourn James as well. And out of the 50,000 people that went to Burning Man, and this is before the rains came, literally, actually the last interaction that we had was with this woman before we went home and went to sleep and 
everything changed drastically. What are the chances that we would find and, and connect with somebody that neither Alicia, my wife, or I had ever met in person before, and that they too had brought James to the temple? It was like one of those magical, mystical Playa Provides moments and also transcended Burning Man back to La Cosa Nostra, this thing of ours that is born in the, the Spanish moss and swamp and the banks of the Suwannee River and the city of New Orleans and the Big Apple, New York City. I just wanted to kind of tell that story and commemorate James's life and legacy. I mean, he had a couple years in lettuce. He had a damn near a decade with Tranastasio Band, maybe even longer. I loved his band Animus Rex, short-lived electronic live hybrid thing he did for a short time with Big Yuki, among others. He did a Christmas album last year. I mean, sat in with everybody. And I mean everybody. Nobody was off limits. And he could sing like a motherfucker. So the man was blessed with many talents. His time here on this rock was far too, too short for us, but I know he was a firm believer in creator, and um, I'm just going to, you know, stop talking at this point and just, just offer a moment of silence and gratitude and, uh, and love for the late, great James Casey. I know that was long and rambling and emotional, but I did want to add one last thing, important thing, with regard to James Casey. Uh, something that was very important to him uh, once he was diagnosed and all the way through the end of his life was urging people to get tested for colorectal cancer and getting colonoscopies. It's recommended starting at the age of 45, which is how old I am. So. I'm going to have to get one myself, and I'm making a public declaration, so I hold myself and people hold me to it. Uh, James was very dedicated uh, to raising awareness, knowing family history, uh, and getting tested. So uh, I just didn't want to only talk about the music and the friendship or whatever, and I'd be remiss if I didn't stress uh, what he really wanted for everybody, particularly guys my age, and, and most specifically black Americans, who are notably 30% more likely to develop young onset colorectal cancer. One in four is diagnosed in the later stages. So uh, there's also a short uh, film about James' journey and advocacy, which is honestly really hard to watch uh, now, but uh, it's called Music as Medicine, A James Casey Story. And uh, yeah, it's on YouTube. It's four and a half minutes. Check it out when you have the emotional bandwidth to do so.
Alright y'all. You know if I'm coming out the gates with Watch the Throne Ninjas in Paris into the debut first ever Madison Square from Bear Creek 2011 on the porch stage then you gotta know it's about to be serious business up in here. I would not dust off this iconic chunk of let history without proper pomp and circumstance. So, what's about to go down is my man Paul Levine is finally, as The Rock would say, has finally come back to the Upful Life podcast, even though he's never actually been here in the first place. But I've always been after Paul to come on the show, and he always said he would do it, and the stars never really aligned, and I kind of always imagined we'd do it in person, but alas, uh, it's about to be the 10th Halloween, and this, the situation just presented itself, and we hopped on the Zoom, and had ourselves a good chat about all the things. Now, Paul is the is a co-producer, I guess that's the title, producer, co-producer of Halloween, along with our dear friend Michael Berg of Collective Presents. Shout out, Berg. Come on the pod sometime. Love to have you. Can't wait to see you in a few days. Uh, Paul also is behind Purple Hat Productions, which put on Purple Hatter's Ball, which we talk about at length. And Paul was also a partner, along with our buddy Lyle Style, Lyle Williams, Bear Creek, which we talk about a lot. And I'm not going to spoil it other than to say it's like right there with Jazz Fest and Burning Man and the Holy Trinity. Uh, I came there at a very low point in my life in 2008. I wouldn't say low, just lost and low. Dark, dark times, to quote C.C. DeVille in The Poison Behind the Music. Uh, but I found Swanee, thanks to my man Otis, uh, who took me there for the first time for Bear Creek 2008. And I never missed another Bear Creek until the last one, because I was uh, incarcerated. But 08 to 13, I had the good fortune and privilege to enjoy Bear Creek in all its glory. So you're going to hear about why that's so special, so sacred, so fondly recollected and uh, celebrated. But we also get a whole lot into Halloween in the present tense. Now, it goes without saying, I'm somewhat uh, lactose intolerant, therefore the queso is not necessarily my bag. But salute to String Cheese Incident for being the host band and the foundation of Halloween. Uh, I tip my kangol to y'all for throwing this party every year at my favorite place to festival. And the beauty of Halloween is not in uh, the host band, in my opinion, although some people feel that way, but into the rest of the card. And if you're curious, my thoughts on these matters, at the end of the episode, after we talk with Paul, I'm going to give you my tips to see. at Halloween 2023, my faves, no slight to anyone that doesn't get mentioned, but I'm going to give you my tips at the end of the chat. But I wanted to just acknowledge that uh, this being the 10th year, so much good fortune has happened to me at specifically Halloween. 
you know, I'd been there so many times for Bear Creek and I didn't go right away to Halloween. So I think I missed the first two, maybe three, or maybe I've missed three out of 10, the first two and then 2019. Because 2018 was so epic when Jamiroquai played and then we got engaged and we met Jamiroquai and smoked trees with the Space Cowboy. I mean, and and Tipper played and Troy Boy played. I mean, it was like, it was like I couldn't go back in 2019 because... Uh, I just needed to hold on to 2018 or another year. And then we had to hold on to it for another year because of the pandemic. Uh, but we've been back 22, 21, 22, and 23. Alicia and I together. I went right when I got out of jail in 2015, like a few weeks. And it was like a throwdown, a homecoming, a welcome home party of preposterous proportions. Uh, and then 2016 was the year that Anderson Pack played the amphitheater stage, which is on the metal podium for greatest Swanee performances I've ever seen. And it kind of was right before he exploded into the zeitgeist and became a superstar. He was still pretty cutty. I only knew a couple tracks because Malibu had blown up or just come out really uh, when I was locked up. So I got uh, swiftly familiar and, and saw Anderson Pack on the amp stage. And, and honestly, I had to salute hula for that because i came home i made such a fuss about that show coincidentally he was playing new year's eve in san francisco here and that's when uh my wife and i accidentally got together and we've been together pretty much every minute ever since salute to anderson pack for that and salute to paul and berg and Hulaween for having pack play that show so that i could come home and make the noise so that alicia could hear the noise and sign up for the rage and the rest is as they say history and we made it history i asked her at swanee for jamiroquai and we actually got married bear creek weekend at the park 11 11 22 11 years since we met at bear creek a uh, magical wedding, which we're about to celebrate our first anniversary coming up pretty soon. And we're going back to Swanee for Halloween. And to celebrate all that shit, Paul's like, yo, I'm coming on the pod, finally. And before he could change his mind, we got ourselves on the Zoom, chopped it up like some old homies. Now, Paul has been instrumental for me. He connected me. He kind of just like rolled me out into the scene like Bear Creek backstage uh go be hunter s thompson or david fricky or whoever you want to be he just trusted me um he's also the reason why i introduced the roots uh he made that happen bear creek bear creek say it like you're pissed bear creek this is a dream come true for me and for many of us i'd like to thank paul levine our fearless leader for making this come true all the way live from my hometown all the way live from the 215 the philadelphia hip-hop institution comes home let me hear it one time bear creek for the legendary roots crew paul is a legend um on so many levels and such an amazing friend and uh, musical force of nature uh, offstage uh, instrumental in so much none more than our boys in lettuce I would say he's he was most responsible for my relationship with them blossoming as much as anybody else certainly in the early days 
same thing with Nth Power. Really, any band that played Bear Creek, he allowed me to be around, and however I navigated that, uh, they became friends or colleagues, or I became connected, and, and I can really thank Paul. I gotta thank Otis, who brought me there, who's actually coming back to Halloween, never been to Halloween, coming back to Swanee for the first time in a decade plus. I gotta show love to my best friend Maria, Maria Tambien, who's making her debut uh, DJing uh, on the amphitheater stage to kick things off on Friday. And Maria and I met at Bear Creek 2010, just because we happened to be camped next to each other. Uh, and she thought I was telling funny stories. Uh, and here we are, best friends all these years later out here in California and she's coming back to Swanee to play uh, on the amphitheater stage which is a dream come true for me, for her, for all of our friends and Paul and Berg are responsible for that. So yeah, huge long intro. Look, you're getting two episodes in a row this week so I needed to talk about James Casey for a while and I needed to give Paul the appropriate rollout because uh, I love him so much, and uh, I'm so grateful that he came on the show. He knows my wife longer and maybe even better than I know him, and you'll hear about all that and why that is on the conversation. And uh, yeah, these first take intros go so long, but I always say the stuff I want to say. So hope you made it. Uh, this long and I'm going to cede the microphone to Paul the Wolf Paul Levine, Purple Hat Productions Halloween, Bear Creek, Purple Hatter's Ball Spirit of Swanee Music Park the most magical place to festival and to get married and engaged and trip out on Spirit Lake and all that good stuff so Lettuce, 11, 12, 11, Bear Creek, Madison Square, by any Schmeens, and Jack Flask. All right, all right. Well, this is one of those long time in the making and, and really... You know, when you get to have a friend on the pod, that's also somebody that's, uh, you know, a mover and shaker in the music culture and also somebody who you look up to, it checks a lot of boxes. So it is indeed my honor and privilege and extreme pleasure to welcome my dear friend, Paul Levine of Purple Hat Productions and Spirit of Swanee Music Park, finally, to the Up Full Life podcast. Well, thanks for having me, B. Uh... I guess we uh, were mutual admirations to side. Uh, appreciate you very much. You've been a great friend and an incredible supporter to not only to me, but pretty much every every endeavor that I've ever gotten involved with. And, uh, love you and appreciate you, and I'm happy to finally be on your podcast. Uh, well, well said, and I couldn't agree more. Mutual admiration society. Um, yeah, and when I think back, you know, to when I first went to the Spirit of Swanee Music Park, I'll shout out my man Otis, Chris O'Toole. He was the one who first brought me there and told me that I needed to go to Bear Creek and meet you. And then that would just set me up. I was new in Florida, kind of in a very, you know, 
difficult crossroads in my life with drugs, with, with situation with my family. And I could not have found Swanee, you, and the community at a more crucial time in my life. And I, and when I say things like, you know, I look up to you or how important you are to me, yes, we're friends and I value that greatly, but also I realized the cosmic serendipity of where I was when I went to Swanee and what has blossomed out of that. Obviously with my work and relationships with you have been so instrumental in, but also, you know, I found my wife there. You know, I didn't know it back in 2011 when we actually met, but yeah, it was the Swanee community that brought us together and that's sort of the bosom for our relationship. So you are uniquely positioned amongst all of us. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's just going to be cool to talk about your life and career and, and Swanee from your perspective, because we have all enjoyed the goings-ons, the happenings, the festivaling, the gathering there. And, and you're a major, if not the major, a major, you know, uh, leader in that whole universe. So we're about to have the 10th Halloween. Can't wait. Halloween. Uh, obviously revolutionized the spirit of Swanee Music Park in a lot of ways. So uh, let's start with the now. What are your thoughts and feelings and reflections as you hit this milestone with this, you know, landmark event that you have such a major hand in? Well, you know, I've been working at the spirit of the Swanee um, since the first Bear Creek uh, when we, well, when we brought it to the spirit of the Swanee in 2007, you may recall that Bear Creek was originally supposed to happen in Quincy, Florida on a piece of property. My former partner, Lyle Williams had bought and about a month out from the event, the local board of County commissioners rejected our permit. And so we had a festival, but nowhere to have it. I'd been to the spirit of the Swanee for MAGFest previously and knew how special it was and called up James Cornett. And thankfully, he was open to, to having us. But that was in 2007. And, and since then, I've seen a lot of festivals come and go at the Spirit of the Swanee. Some of them have, I've been involved with, Purple Hatters Ball, Bear Creek. You know, there was the Wani Festival. To actually make have a festival make it to 10 years and to have such a bright future, it, I wouldn't say it's unique or unheard of, but it's, it's, it's a real accomplishment. It's not easy to have anything last for 10 years and still be relevant. Some of the, some of the events um, that have happened out there kind of sometimes are a, a moment in time, and then that time passes, and we're thankful that that Halloween has continued to grow and evolve and is still as relevant or maybe even more relevant today than when we started it. So it's very cool to, to have been a part of that, to see how people still react to Halloween. It's really, really special. I mean, I would agree on, on all counts, but I think particularly when you bring up the fact that festivals are moments in time and don't often make it to 10 years and certainly, you know, especially retaining their original vision and mission and community and
I do want to talk Bear Creek and Purple Hatters as we get deeper into the conversation because those are so dear to me and shaped my own journey in ways I'm still unpacking to this day. Halloween is unique in the sense that obviously String Cheese is the host band. They play multiple times across the whole weekend and it goes without saying that's not really my thing. Yet, I love Halloween more than any other festival because in addition to the host bands, the menu, the palette is so wide ranging and touches not just genres, but generations, geography. There's different artists have like their own connection to Halloween, their own tradition at Halloween that they maintain it, whether it's every year or every few years. And that's both from the stage and in the crowd where you can see some of the same friends. You might only see them when Lettuce plays, or you might only see them. And I've noticed that Halloween uh, has sort of uh, maintained its identity, you know, through, you know, it hasn't been all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. There were difficulties along the way, financial, pandemic, yet uh, the team that is behind Hula, the people that you work with, uh, circled the wagons and were able to persevere through some really difficult times to achieve what we're about to celebrate in 10 years. So yeah, let's spread the love around a little bit. You know, tell us about who and what it takes to bring 20,000 plus people to this very remote park in central Florida and, and how you bring it to life in such a dynamic way every year. Well, let's give Lots of credit to Spring Cheese Incident, absolutely. Whether, whether they're your cup or tea or not, they've been incredible hosts to the festival. They're, as you know, um, they're a jam band rooted in bluegrass and jam and funk. And, but they also have, the members of the band also have side projects. You know, um, Jason Hahn and Michael Travis, you know, had their band Yodo. Now, uh, you know, they also are doing other things. Uh, Travis is doing his Snakes and Stars at Halloween this year. Jason Hahn's going to do something in the, at Incendia one night. Um, and so those guys have very, very wide tastes. You know, they, they, they're into electronic music. They're into jam music. But you could tell some of them likes different stuff. I mean, you know, Billy Nershia has a lot of different tastes than, than Michael Travis and Michael Kang is quite different than, uh, than Jason Hahn. And so the net that they cast and their influences and the people they like to associate with are very vast and wide. They empowered us to run the festival, to book the festival, to do all those things, consult with them and talk to them. And they were always open to the ideas that we would bring to the table because they, they realized that Lots of people like lots of different things and people have, you know, very diverse tastes and that we could bring that, you know, they, you see it at Electric Forest, more so on the electronic side, probably up there. Everything sort of works at Halloween. Part of that comes from, from string cheese. We also have to give a lot of credit to the spirit of the Sewanee community for the success of Halloween. When I talk to people that haven't gone to Halloween, my peers, I'm, I'm 54. A lot of them at first are intimidated to come to Halloween because they figure, well, it's just a bunch of kids listening to a bunch of electronic music. It's not for me. 
But as you know, that's not true. The, the age diversity at Halloween is really unbelievable for the type of festival that we have. Part of that is because of the spirit of the Swanee. There's thousands of people who love the park so much and call the park their home, consider it their, consider it their home away from home, and take pride in the park and take pride in the community of people that come to the park. And they'll pretty much come to any event that happens at the park. And so when we started Bear uh, Halloween, rather, early on, it was a, a smaller lineup. Maybe it had a little bit less electronic music in the beginning, but it still had plenty. Well, those people came and they, they felt it. This greater spirit of the Suwannee community takes a lot of pride in coming out to these events and kind of showing off the park and teaching the park, the ways of the park to new people that are coming to the park. And so after coming to the park one time, you become part of that community that's welcoming people to the park. And when somebody comes to the park and acts like a jerk or disrespects or litters or, or, or whatever it is, you got a, a whole group of people that are there to say, hey, hey, that's not how we do it here. Don't disrespect the park. So it's like it kind of goes back to it's not a Grateful Dead thing, but I learned it in the Grateful Dead community, that the elders teach the younger people, you know, it's a passed down tradition. Um, and there's sort of the passed down tradition at the park. You know, this is, this is our place. This is how we act. This is how we treat people. We respect people. We love people. And so the park gets a ton of credit for that and for nur having nurtured this incredible group of music fans over a long, long history. So I'm incredibly thankful for that. You know, and then, of course, people like my partner, Michael Berg, the Suwannee Halloween team. Michael Berg, my dear friend who I love like a brother, he and I, he and I started the festival together 10 years ago. We, we still have some, in, some key people right from the beginning. Saira Anderson, who's now the festival director. Sonny Perez, who is the site operations person um, for every show at the Spirit of the Suwannee who, who helps make the magic happen. The guys in Spirit Lake, Steph Blatt, our production team, folks that have, some of who've been with us from the beginning, some of who have, have come on afterwards. These, these folks have shared the dedication that Berg and I started with and it, and it really translates into the, into the final product and the, the love that the team puts into the show, I think, is felt by the people that come to the show. And it's kind of a, the, the fans and the, and the staff kind of feed off of each other. We want to give them the best experience possible. We want to blow their minds. We want them to leave having a life-changing experience. And they, they root for us to, to do that. You know, they're there in it with us. We, it's an incredibly, I want, we got to thank the fans for their incredible interaction with the festival. We have one of the most active, online communities that there is sometimes they're they're rabid let's just say that sometimes it's a it's a cesspool of ideas uh and and shit talking but mostly it's because of passion for the festival because they want it to keep getting better they want it to be a, what they expect which is to have the best what we think is the best festival in the country every october at the Spirit of the Swanee. So 
we appreciate that passion, even even if they're telling us that we suck or the lineup's not as good as last year or, you, you know, whatever it is. Um, we take we, – we read all that stuff. We listen to it. And the stuff that we can address, um, the ideas that are possible to integrate into the show, we do. There's so many, so many things that we've gotten from the fans that eventually have shown up in the, in the show. So we're thankful for those folks, too. Man, that was a great answer. That was really, really insightful. I, yes, I want to shout out Berg, uh, Michael, also a dear friend of me. I came to know him through you and Halloween, but I, I, you know, I would count him as, you know, one of my dear friends and somebody I also look up to in the industry. And you mentioned Syira Anderson. She's somebody I met way back at the beginning of Bear Creek, and our friendship and connection is rooted at the park. A quick uh, sidebar, because you mentioned Sonny, which reminded me that there's a GoFundMe going for him at the moment because there was some damage uh, to his living quarters um, and Rex Thompson as well. So can you just tell the folks who are wondering, like, what's the current condition of the park after the recent storm? Sure. Hurricane Idalia hit the Suwannee Valley harder than any storm in over 100 years. Normally, the, the where the park is, inland, um, most storms generally have died down or you kind of go around the park. There's, we're convinced there's a, the Sewanee Dome exists, a special force coming from the park that pushes storms around us. But this time the dome did not, uh, its defense shields did not stay up for Idalia. The park um, was hit very hard. Lots, lots of trees, lots of limbs down, um, some damage to some buildings. The, the electric grid was, was hit hard. You have to look at it, you know, in a positive way in that, you know, Mother Nature takes care, you know, of the earth, whether it, you know, it affects us or not. This storm blew down a lot of trees that probably needed to come down, thinned out some areas that maybe needed some more light so some more trees could grow. If you, if you look at it in a context, if, if the park lost, say, a few thousand trees, but there's a million trees in the park, did the park really lose that many trees? So the, the electric grid is back up and running. They're cleaning up the debris and the mess, fixing the things that need to be fixed. And then come festival season, starting with roots, the Suwannee Roots Revival in the middle of October and then Halloween. The park is going to be in great shape and it's going to be looking good. The storm will be a memory, but a hard memory, but the park will be just as great and will live on, continue to grow and prosper. And Sonny Perez had a tree fall onto his home and his home was, uh, he's had to leave his home, a, a double trailer and it's, not going to be fixed. So he's displaced. Rex Thompson's trailer, damaged by the winds, is no longer habitable. So he has relocated to previous home in Kentucky. Um, other people that work at the park, including Rusty Simpson, also had trees hit their homes. It, it was a very tough storm, um, and it really affected the community. You're, you're right. Sonny and Rex both have fundraisers, so if, if anybody out there is in a position to help those guys. I'll drop the link in the show notes. That would be great. Um, but, you know, everybody's 
doing everything they can to get back on their feet. They're getting support. Um, they certainly feel the love of the music community. You know, the storm hit hard, but we're going to, we're going to go forward um, and we're going to prosper, you know, despite, despite the, the devastation in the community. We also uh, expect to announce um, some fundraising endeavors in the, in the coming weeks uh, to benefit the community, the Suwannee Valley, in Suwannee County, Hamilton County, Columbia County, and, and folks that, you know, were associated with the spirit of the Suwannee that were impacted. We're going to, we're going to try to call on the uh, greater Suwannee community, the Kulwin community and all other music fans that love the park to, to support these efforts. But we'll be announcing that in the next coming couple of weeks. Word. Definitely keep us posted. And like I said, I will I will drop Sonny and uh, Rex's uh, fundraisers that are already up and running into the show notes. And this will probably come out in a couple of weeks, which will be before Halloween, but maybe further into your efforts. So uh, whatever's going on, uh, listeners can check the show notes if they're able to help. Uh, obviously, Rex, photographer, artist, you know, uh, and, and documentarian. Um, lived on the park for the a long period of time so you know i gotta respect and admire his efforts over the years uh so we want to definitely show him some love and sunny i mean if there's a if there's a more glue more essential key to the whole shebang uh, i don't know because uh dating back to my earliest experiences of the park that guy was just the man you talk about obviously the team is incredible what happens at Hula, you, you mentioned Electric Forest. It definitely has energy and, and, and music and sort of a modus operandi that could be cousins to what happens up there at Rothbury. It's also got, you know, a bit of like a big art Burning Man sort of, you know, influence when you go through Spirit Lake and have that sort of like, I'm not even on planet Earth anymore. Where and how did they transform this forest into this wonderland? So you have so much on offer for Hula, but it's not like you just did it 10 years ago. Oh, like kind of just, there was so many bricks and so many successes and failures with other events that, you know, we talked about Bear Creek and Purple Hatters. And I want to just take it back to the Suwannee community, the region. There was a time where uh, you had to worry about getting arrested for smoking grass or you make one like dumb mistake when you had a couple too many, you could end up in jail. It was a less like liberating or, or, or I should say like less uh, tolerant uh, situation. I had, can say, you know, I can count a dozen friends who have been cuffed and stuff at the park. And I'm lucky that it wasn't me a few times. But over the past, we're at like 15, 16 years since the first Bear Creek. And longer than that, if we're counting Wani. There has been a evolution of sorts of consciousness, of tolerance, and also of like responsibility. I feel like it's not a one-way street. They didn't just all of a sudden let people do whatever they want. The community, whether it was from getting arrested or growing up, decided to maybe not act the fool or do dumb shit or break the law so egregiously. And from that has come a much more agreeable, a much more permissive, and also just vibier festival experience at Spirit of Swanee. So there was a draconian era and then there was the growing pains. And now we've achieved something where you even have like a authorized county involved, like kind of trip 
that are Zendo style uh, place for people that are a little too spun out to get their bearings. And that's like kosher and in partnership with the county. So can you talk a little bit about that journey from from the draconian uh, authoritarian stuff that used to happen there to like what we are privileged to experience now and like who's responsible? Let's also give a lot of credit and praises to Randy and Beth Judy started two festivals uh, at the park well before Wani and well before Bear Creek called Magnet Festival and Suwannee Spring Festival. Both bluegrass-oriented events hosted for over 20 years by Donna the Buffalo. Regulars such as Peter Rowan and Vassar Clements and Tony Rice and Guy Clark um, and and a lot of and that more recently you know leftover salmon and Larry Keel folks like that they really were the 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 first pioneers out there to bring I guess for lack of a better word hippie music to the park and so their their fans at those shows went through a lot of these trials and tribulations they were talking. Early on when Bear Creek first got there, it was still that way. A lot of the law enforcement were really just out there to fuck with the hippies. You know, they knew it could be, you know, shooting fish in a barrel out there. And so they'd go out there and looking to bust people and listen, looking to mess with people. If you're sitting at a campsite, I mean, smoking a joint, they, they might have arrested you. And maybe less like that when Bear Creek got there because of Springfest and Magfest. But then there was, then Wani came, then Bear Creek came. And what happened all of a sudden, the park also hosted the Country Jam, the Suwannee Country Jam. What the people that worked out at the park started to realize was the people that come to these hippie shows are so much nicer than the people that come to the country show. And so at least amongst the park staff, there was a change that the best crowds that were coming out there, at least in terms of people being kind to each other and kind to the staff and considerate of the park and all those things, it wasn't the locals and the, and the country crowd. It was the, it was the people coming to these hippie shows. And so that's when things started to change a little bit. The law enforcement was behind the, you know, the park staff. But over the years, with lots of complaining, with lots of letters, with lots of people, getting busted that shouldn't have gotten busted, things started to change in the community. The message started to get out that, hey, the spirit of the Suwannee and the people that come here is providing a tremendous amount of revenue to the tax base, which is a benefit to this to the community. They started to see that. They started to write articles about that. It started changing minds about the people coming because what they what they realized was, okay, Maybe we don't want these people to live here, but they come and they spend their money and they go home. So why are we? Why do we need to fuck with them? Why don't we just be good hosts, put on great shows, and welcome them into our community because they're benefiting our community? And people started to see that more and more, and that attitude started to permeate into law enforcement as well. And then, yes, with Halloween, that what you were describing earlier, the partnership between emergency services and the festivals is something that's known as spirit care for people who aren't familiar. It's kind of like what, like 
what used to be called rock med back in the day where if somebody's had a little bit too much of something doesn't need to go to the hospital but just needs to chill out and get their head together that they can go to this place and do that and not worry about law enforcement getting involved and what so what spirit care is is a partnership with emergency services medical com- community the medical team from Suwannee Valley and also they bring in people from out, outside because they don't have enough people to actually provide a space that people can go to chill out and to get themselves together and not with no judgment, with no law enforcement. The goal is to keep people safe. It's not to, you know, the last thing that they do is send somebody to the hospital. If they're, they only do that if somebody is really in need and has gone way too far and has something that could be considered life-threatening or, you know, something really serious. Okay, so that that's when somebody might go to the hospital. But the goal is to help people to cool down, to get their to get themselves together and to get back out there to the festival and enjoy the weekend. And to think that in North Florida, Suwannee County, which if you look at the political map, couldn't be any redder that there would be a partnership between emergency services and the sheriff's department and music festivals for such a progressive, positive thing to provide for the people that come to these events. So welcoming, so loving. It's almost a miracle, you know, but it's not. It's because of some incredible people that saw that these people are not coming to do harm in their community. They're coming to have a memorable weekend. And that just like any young people anywhere, sometimes people take a little too much of something or carry on a little bit too much. And they don't need to go to jail. They just need a little help getting back on track. And don't get me wrong, that law enforcement is it's tough. You want to come into the park and you want to sell some bad shit, you want to sell drugs of any sort or cause trouble or be violent. They're, they're not afraid to take you to jail. And in fact, you know, that's, you know, if you have it coming, you, that's where you should go. But Spirit Care is, is really, is, to me, is one of the greatest programs that's ever been developed in the music festival community and is happening right here in North Florida. And it's really a model that should go out into the music festival world all over the country. Yeah, I could not agree more. Thank you for explaining it so thoroughly and tracing all the steps over the years and the evolutions of opinions and politics and consciousness and partnerships. And I want to say, yes, it's remarkable where it happens, with whom, how it happens, the different parties that come together to create a spirit care. You made a good point. You know, if you're going to come in there and sell bad drugs or try to just sell drugs at the festival or cause trouble or especially get violent, that the cops are not soft. They haven't rolled over. They still will stuff you and stuff you, take you to jail, charge in. I agree. And one thing that I always loved and continue to love about Swanee, but, and this is part of that whole equation is, you know, I've been going to festivals since the late nineties and chronicling them since, you know, around the millennium. So I've been to a lot of festivals in a lot of places. And back in the day, especially when, when there were, you know, everything from all good and the early Bonnaroos and gathering of the vibes, Burke Fest, uh, you know, I could go on. There would always be like a shakedown, which would be like an open air drug bazaar where lots of 
contraband and drugs were sold and purchased with very little regulation, even like internally by the community. And it was dangerous uh, uh, for a long time. And because of the draconian stuff that happened at Swanee, when I first got there in 2008, there was no shakedown open air drug bazaar. And I loved that. It was just a festival. You know, like, and I'm sure if you wanted to find some shit, you could ask around and maybe turn it up. But there was no centrally located, unregulated, dangerous open air drug bazaar. And even as the mentality has changed with spirit care and less like, hey, we're going to raid your campsite and bust you for smoking a bowl, that doesn't happen anymore. But it hasn't come at the cost of that drug thing. Uh, so Swanee maintained its sort of like purity and innocence. From the draconian era, yet the attitudes have evolved and it makes for such a container. It's not the bands that bring me back every year. It's the park and the community and being a part of that. And so I think that um, in a weird way, that sort of hardcore reputation that was well earned for many years at the expense of, of probably some good natured hippies at MAGFest and, and Springfest and, and Wani. Um, and of course, my experiences uh, with friends at Purple Hatters or Blackwater or, of course, Bear Creek, uh, it created this container of, of trust and of villaging and community that as festivals evolve into this big business world of, of Bonnaroo and Coachella and, you know, we could name others, it doesn't really matter. Uh, strangely and uniquely, uh, Huluween and Swanee in general has not followed suit. You know, uh, it has not turned into that sort of uh, commodified experience uh, with lots of sponsorships and, and corporate energy and all that. So I think it's just a really, really uh, unique unicorn elixir that makes Spirit of Swanee what it is and Huluween, the crown jewel. Um, I often think back to a conversation we had where I was actually talking to you from a jail telephone. I had gotten arrested. Uh, we've talked about it on the pod before, it's no secret. So I had been in jail for like a year, uh, excuse me, I was in jail for a year, but this was like a month in, it's like a week before uh, Bear Creek was going to happen, which was the last year in 2014. And uh, I was so despondent that I couldn't go to Bear Creek. I mean, here I was facing years in jail, but my, my heart ached because I couldn't go to Bear Creek. And, and Halloween was in its infancy. And you were actually like, you know, had come to the end of your relationship with Bear Creek, which you relayed to me over the jail telephone that you were resigning and that you said, Halloween is a force. That's what you said. Those were the words you said. You were proven correct because in a, uh, in a very difficult and competitive cutthroat and unforgiving festival uh, economy, uh, Halloween against much uh, adversity has persevered and and we just discussed all these elements musical community political safety all that stuff that that figures into this magic that we get to experience but none of it would have happened without the stuff that came before it and and i never went to wani i know that's very special to a lot of people there but that wasn't your baby but uh two of your babies in in essence bear creek and purple headers ball totally different events but uh unique similar communities i want to kind of hop in the wayback machine for a second and just talk about those two events because we'll start with bear creek uh because that was what i went to first 
I think it's almost unilaterally understood that anybody who went to Bear Creek with any sort of regularity reveres it as a as a gold standard, as a achievement, as a moment in time that could never be eclipsed nor revisited. It had to happen when it did. It was funk focused. It was very, very uh, free for all of improvisation and collaboration. And much of what happened at the festival didn't even appear necessarily on the schedule it was just magic and i gotta be honest dude uh after jazz fest bear creek is like the most sacred music event that i ever went to and i was lucky to go to seven out of eight and i would have been at the eighth if i didn't get rolled up in that in that uh legal situation so i hold bear creek in the highest regard and so do thousands of others yet when you hear this, you're probably like, yeah, that sounds great. But like uh, when it mattered, when we needed people to really show up and buy the tickets, you know, we fell short a few times. And and it doesn't have the magical fairy tale story that Halloween is enjoying. So uh, as it might be fun for you to reflect. It might be painful for you to reflect. I'm sure there's all sorts of emotions and celebrate and stuff that you kind of you know, don't celebrate and 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 the mistakes that were made. But I want to hear from, and I know it's your partnership with Lyle, and I'm going to leave Lyle out. I know he's a major part of the action, but he's not on the pod right now. So from your perspective, uh, some of your reflections, good, bad, and ugly about, you know, how did you conceive Bear Creek? Do you feel like your vision was achieved? And, uh, you know, I want to talk separately about the lettuce factor, but just Bear Creek as a whole. Well, there are some, you know, some tough memories of Bear Creek, there, there's no pain for me, and it's not hard for me to talk about Bear Creek. I, I thought Bear Creek was so special. My love for Bear Creek couldn't be any deeper. It's, um, in some in some ways, it's my favorite festival ever. Halloween, I feel the same way about, but in a different way. But Bear Creek, like you were saying before, it was a time. It was a time and a place. Right. It was, you know, and it had a lot to do with the bands that we had and and their time. Right. It was in the beginning, you know, it was Lettuce was real young then. Right. Dumpster Funk, the New Master Sounds, even Carl Denson and Galactic, all of them were a younger point in their careers. And so that it was that growing and younger energy that was a big part of it on the musical side. It was also a time, right, when uh, right around then that uh, Jam Cruise was starting, which had a similar musical slant and improvisational energy. You probably know a lot of people considered and called Bear Creek and Jam Cruise um, 
and Jazz Fest, the Holy Trinity of funk. People that would go to Jam Cruise would come to Bear Creek, and all of us that were on both of those would go to the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival every year. And so this community of people was seeing each other a few times a year coming together. But, it, it you know, all of that stuff came out of Jazz Fest. You know, I always, Lyle and I always talked about with Bear Creek, how can we create the energy and the vibe of New Orleans Jazz Festival, not the festival itself, but the clubs at night? How do we create that energy, which was where which was so incredible and the music you know you know this music that you see after hours in new orleans during jazz festival is so mind-blowing you know time and time again you see something that you can't that drops your jaw to the floor there have been so many times when i've been in you know in tipitina's or in the maple leaf or in the blue nile or certainly at one-eyed jacks where we used to do the bear creek all-stars you know, that you just felt like you were floating. The music was so incredible, so special that you knew that it could never be recreated and that there was no place else on the whole planet that you wanted to be. And you felt lucky to be there. You're just floating with everybody else in this magical cloud. So we tried to recreate that energy at the Spirit of the Suwannee with Bear Creek. Though, funny story, I think we've probably talked about this. Bear Creek was not supposed to be at the Spirit of the Suwannee. I think I mentioned it earlier. Um, it was supposed to be at Lyle Williams' um, property in Quincy, Florida. We had had a festival in Quincy called Down on the Farm for three years. At Down on the Farm, I worked with a, a big group of Florida State students who came out and volunteered getting that farm together for that festival group of 20 or 30 or 40 kids that were passionate music fans that were going to Florida state. And one of them was your wife. I've heard the story. I've actually seen some photographs. Yes, sir. And so it was that community. And we'll talk about purple hatters later. That became the purple hat community. And it was those kids that also were the backbone of bear Creek. When Lyle bought his property in Quincy, we, these kids came out with us and volunteered their time transforming his property into the site that was going to become the home for Bear Creek, even though it never happened and we moved to the Spirit of the Suwannee. Those people were the backbone of Bear Creek. That was how it started. And those people had started from down on the farm. We had dumpster funk out at down on the farm. You know, we had Colonel Bruce Hampton in the Aquarium Rescue Unit out there. We had government rule. 
We had Skerrick and his band was out there. Robert Walter, 20th Congress was out there. So it kind of started with Down on the Farm and that energy got focused into Bear Creek. And that's really how it started. It started with the community and with a lot of love and with passion. There was also plenty of partying and and all those things. We were all younger and wilder back then and maybe not quite, you know. So when you talk about some regrets or, you know, while I don't really regret anything, you know, we all could have maybe been a little bit more business minded. But we, we were trying to put on the absolute best party in the country. You know, there were times when we really felt like we achieved that. It was a combination of things, but it was a, it was definitely a time and place when we started Bear Creek with those bands. You know, people say, well, why don't you start Bear Creek again? And I say, well, you know, it sounds nice, but, you know, those bands that we used to book back then, they cost way more money now than they used to. So, like, we could do it with, like, a quarter of the, the acts that we had, less, you know, it would be, it just wouldn't be the same thing. Now, we could try to recreate it new bands that are younger and coming up, right? Because there was a lot of coming up bands that were part of Bear Creek, but then it wouldn't be the same. So, you know, and people would be disappointed. And so it's, man, who knows? Maybe we'll have a reunion show one year. You know, I'm not saying that would never happen. We do that and it'd be fun as hell. Everybody would be stoked. But Bear Creek really is in the heart um, and is in the minds and um, the energy and the love that came from it is, you know, I'm thankful that it's, you know, it's helped to, make me who I am. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. Yeah, I, I would concur that it'd be impossible to recreate at this time, like fit financially, energetically, uh, culturally. Uh, it was just a different time and place. And I know that sounds like, uh, you know, cliche, but in some cases, it's true. And, and you mentioned about the, the host bands, the ones that played every year, the funk, you know, giants of then and now. But what really, really blows me away uh, is the bands that you gave uh, or Bear Creek gave a, a stage to that got even bigger. When you think about Snarky Puppy in like 2010, 2011 on the campground stage. the revivalists like doing fucking Eminem Dre covers with Roosevelt, Mike Dillon, like they got something to say, 
those bands are winning Grammys and, and touring huge rooms around the world. Um, and some of their first like major shows out of at, in, in Snarky's case outside of Texas and in uh, the revivalist case outside of, of the Bayou were these audiences at Bear Creek who then got their wig split and then for the next year listened to those artists and sometimes they came back and sometimes they outgrew Bear Creek. And then I also really loved how you reached outside of our, you know, jam funk, jam cruise, jam centric thing. So one year you just grabbed the whole Daptone label and gave them a stage and a day. And like, while some of us, whether we're from the Northeast or plugged into hip hop or we're on OK Player website, we might have been familiar with the Daptone, the average Bear Creeker, that was like mind blowing new shit. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How is the Bear Creek Festival doing right about now? Are you enjoying your day at the Daptone stage, ladies and gentlemen? I certainly hope so. Before we go any further, let's give it up one more time for the Como Mamas. They got us started off. What a soulful gospel note. Let's give it up for the Sugarman 3, making their triumphant return. Playing songs from their fourth LP. Let's give it up one more time for Mr. Charles Bradley and his extraordinaire. Tearing up the world, getting ready to release his next one. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget later on, right after we finish our set, you're gonna hear some beautiful music from the Budos. Yes. But before we can bring out the Budos, we gotta give you, we gotta present for you that woman that's known as the brightest star in the Daptone Soul Universe. That's right, I'm talking about the one and only Miss Sharon Jones. For those of you that have seen us before, know that we can't bring out our star until we get ourselves a little bit warmed up. Why we get you a little bit warmed up so you can get this dance floor a little bit warmed up. That's right. And you might wonder, who are we? Well, we are the Deaf Kings! Right, and then you think about bringing out Fred Wesley and Maceo and Pee Wee, rest in peace, and, and these progenitors and pioneers of funk horns. I mean, Bear Creek horn situation was always like on steroids between all the horn players that would come and descend. So for you to have the, the greatest horn, funk horns ever, JBs, uh, rock with all our favorite bands, uh, just as once in a lifetime shit. So, and, and that's only emphasized when you watch a documentary and you see the late Pee Wee Ellis wearing his Bear Creek t-shirt when he's being interviewed. Like, that kind of stuff stayed with us. So because we get a lot of the jam funk stuff elsewhere, but those type of those type of experiences that, that you curated that were out of the box at Bear Creek were really like in alignment with that jam centric jam funk thing that was the was the sort of anchor for the whole fest. I do want to talk Purple Hatters, but while we're at Bear Creek, I have to stress lettuce because um, like you said, Lettuce was kind of just getting going again. You know, they put out Rage in 2008, and that was around the first Bear Creek. And, of course, Derek 
trucks and the late Kofi Burbage sat in on the amphitheater stage for any lettuce fan that is like and the porch stage. Porch stage. And the porch. Right. No, both. Two different times. I, I think of the amp stage, but I think you're right. The porch stage might have been first. Uh, regardless, it was uh, it was next level holy grail stuff. You know, I was always a deadhead and a fifth fan. But as I mentioned earlier, when I arrived at Bear Creek, I was at like a personal crossroads in a lot of ways and, and struggling and also seeking. And I had been with Jambase for a number of years, uh, but I really wasn't like moving forward or upward or up full for that matter. And also Fish had retired at the time. And I had seen Lettuce at uh, Morgan Young's nascent Adirondack Mountain Music Festival in 2002. And uh, one other time that escapes me in a moment. Berkfest. Berkfest. Thank you. Thank you. Berkfest. That same summer. So I was familiar with Lettuce. Loved Deitch. Was like hip to him through Schofield and Uber Jam and, and hip hop, et cetera. But, you know, it wasn't in full bloom. And then, of course, Rage, which was a revolutionary record for them and for the culture. And then you gave them two sets at Bear Creek. And this thing started there. This community far away from home for Lettuce and for us. But the amp stage and Bear Creek as a whole became this family reunion for and and you put me around those guys in the initially as just as a writer to be on the scene, but eventually you enabled me to develop relationships. And and I don't think you even realized that at the time that this was going to turn into something that would be a lifelong thing for me and something that is so dear to me and uh passionate musically, professionally, these are friends, but it all comes back to Bear Creek, having these out of body, out, otherworldly musical experiences with this band, unlike any other. And they would come back every year and it'd be something new, something different, whether it was the JBs or whatever, uh, you know, like a uh, special guest out the wazoo each year, the, the lettuce thing at Bear Creek became more and more sacred and more and more elevated. And everything that's happened with me and those guys, writing about them, traveling, following them, you know, doing their liner notes, whatever, can all be traced back to uh, to Bear Creek and, and the opportunity and the community that came to life there. So I want to hear it from you, man, because I know I'm not asking you to pick favorites. I know you love the Master Thumbs. I know you love Dumpster. We, everybody loves GPJ. But there was something special about Lettuce at Bear Creek. Do, you picking up what I'm putting down? <laughs> well, Lettuce has played uh, every single Halloween. Um, they played all of the Bear Creeks except for the first one because they weren't bookable then. I got to give give props to Syira Anderson again, who said, Paul, check out this band. Then we booked him for two sets and for 2008 at Bear Creek. There's, there's no question about it. I mean, it was an incredible time in Lettuce's career. 
they decided that they wanted to be a band then. I mean, before that, they were, I don't think they were touring regularly and it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a forever thing. About 2008 is when they decided to do that. I mean, what a, what a band. Um, you know, Eric Krasno was, was with them back then. Sam Kininger was there and Rashawn Ross on the trumpet and Neil, um, and Neil, Neil Evans on the keys. And I think that the, their energy and their just incredible musicianship was at a special place. They were young, they were hungry, they were ready to conquer the world. And you could, you could feel that when you were watching their shows and you could see other musicians notice it, you know, and um, they, they became almost hosts of the festival in a lot of ways. So did, so did Ivan and, and Dumpstone and the Master Sounds and the, you know, and, and of course, but, but there was so much excitement around Lettuce. Like you, I was also in it to, you know, I didn't, I, I thought of the artists as people that I wanted to, to get to know and become friends with. I, I revere musicians and it's probably why I got into doing what I do. Um, I have so much respect for what they do. I find them to be interesting you know, just for what they do, you know, and I wanted to find out about them more. And so, you know, a lot of the guys in, in that band have become lifelong friends you know, who I love and collaborators, you know, you know, I'd talk to Adam Deitch every year about, Hey, who should we get this year? You know, like you talk about um, when we had lettuce with the JB horns probably came out of a conversation with between Adam and I two years earlier. Can you hear me? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to know, are you ready for some Super Dynamite Show? Well, ladies and gentlemen, at this particular time, we'd like to bring to the stage one of the world's greatest trombone players on the planet. This man will make your bladder splatter. This man will make you straight. Damn it. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please help me in welcoming the one, the only, Who do you guys want to play with at Bear Creek? And then we, then I, you know, I had my marching orders to try to go make that happen. You know, so those guys are incredibly special to me too. I feel incredibly lucky to have become so close with them. You know, besides Don of the Buffalo, I'm not sure there's a band that has played the Spirit of the Suwannee more times than Lettuce. The feelings that we have for them has spread out to the people that have come to the shows. You know, that keep coming to see them at, at Halloween now. Or resonator. Whenever we have them, you know, I know, I know that lettuce. You know, if you talk to Adam or Schmeens or any of the guys, that you know, they'll they'll give they'll give credit to the to the Bear Creek audience, the Florida audience, for being some of their missionaries for really helping spread the word and the love for lettuce. 
and and really that's an incredible thing to be a part of yeah true story uh i i think about you know i see lettuce as much as i possibly can they're unequivocally my favorite band aside from any personal relationship whatever just as a fan what they bring to the table it's, it's the same drug that drove deadheads to go to as many shows as possible and fish and i'm sure other bands in the wake for me uh for the past 15 years since bear creek uh 2008 they have been my north star and really the the battery in my back and i trace it back to you and to bear creek and when you talk about the florida fans or the community at bear creek and and i believe that this extends definitely felt it it resonate and when lettuce plays on the amp for sure amphitheater stage during hula as well there is an unbridled like energy a sort of uh, focus a sort of communal togetherness and borrow a term rage that i really just don't get anywhere else whether i see lettuce wherever you know i used to be able to maybe count on that at jazz fest and and that sometimes still happens at jazz fest with rage fest or whatever but it's uh it's hard to and and, and there was a time where you could see him at brooklyn bowl and and kind of get that vibe um but it's guaranteed, you know, the first 15 or 20 rows at the amp when Lettuce is on stage, the energetic exchange from stage to rage and back to stage is unlike any other, the dancing, the reverence. And I feel like Lettuce really keeps special stuff in the tuck that they either try out at Swanee or that they bust out at Swanee. And it's, it's like, you know, if they're playing there, like I basically have to be there. And, you know, almost all my favorite lettuce shows of all time have taken place there. Uh, Bear Creeks and most recently Resonate was an all-timer. And I think back to uh, the first Swanee Rising when they played, when you came out for the second night and you announced that they wanted to dedicate that night to Kofi. The guys are going to dedicate this set tonight to Kofi Burbage. And again, it was like a transformative uh, experience to see my favorite band for was well over the hundredth time and have like another religious experience. And I know I was talking to McSweeney about it, where there was a Purple Hatters towards the end of the Purple Hatters run, where they played last at PHB. And it was, again, uh, another one of those religious uh, transformational live music experiences. And I think that only happened at Swanee. reference earlier about my wife Alicia and the team of FSU students that were sort of diligent volunteers in the early days that created the bedrock for what all this stuff that was built on top of Bear Creek and everything that came after it. And uh, one of those kids was the late Rachel Morningstar Hoffman and Purple Hatters Ball uh, was the event that you and her community uh, created, curated, 
to honor her life, to remember the circumstances of her death. I never met her, but I met so many people close to her. It's like I arrived shortly after uh, she was murdered, like a few months uh, is when I showed up in Florida and fell into the, the community that she was a part of. So I did kind of get to participate in a lot of the memorials and 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 I've come to know her mom and and of course her story. And then I had my own brush with the law and trafficking and all that stuff. So it, it brings into sharper focus what that must have been like for a college-aged female in Florida. So, you know, for those who are interested, there's a documentary film made about Rachel. There are numerous articles. Here she was, this young woman found with some pot and I believe a small handful of ecstasy pills. And she was sent off ultimately to buy 1,500 ecstasy pills, a stash of cocaine and a handgun from two convicted felons. Um, ultimately, in the midst of the sting, the police lost track of her. Um, as often happens in these situations, she was told to go to a second location. Um, and when she did that, ultimately, um, one of the men found the wires, the surveillance wires that the police had hidden in her purse um, and shot her. Um, Paul, you were her friend and confidant and kind of uh, had like an older brother vibe with her. And then you also took it upon yourself to make sure her memory and her murder were not forgotten. So uh, as I know, this can't be easy. Uh, what are your reflections of not so much the murder? People know what happened. And if they don't, they can look it up. But the aftermath the community building, the healing, and Purple Hatter's Ball, what that festival in itself represented. When, uh, after Rachel um, was killed, um, you know, I was still living in Tallahassee, and it, it, really, uh, it really fucked people's heads up really badly. Um, people had no idea that what the hell happened. They couldn't understand it. Nobody could explain it. People were just psychologically just completely whacked because for lots of reasons, like you said, people can watch this, watch the videos and read about it. Um, we don't need to rehash the, the, the ugly story and the, you know, but it, but it involves some bad police work, some taking advantage of a young college student who didn't put in a position that she didn't need to be in, but the community was broken. People were searching for answers and there were none to be had. What I have learned <laughs> over the years, I remember the day Jerry Garcia died. I was living in Aspen, Colorado at a bar called The Howling Wolf. I remember getting the phone call and you know how devastating that was. Well, that night at our bar, we invited musicians to come and play Jerry Garcia music if they wanted to, and they did. And it was probably 10 hours of Grateful Dead jamming. We had a, like kind of a vigil and brought people together. And so what I learned what have learned over time is that when, when something terrible happens, something unexplainable happens, people still need to come together and try to search for answers, but, and also to, you know, to give support and love and comfort to, to other people that are feeling the same way. And I learned over time that, that music, bringing to, together people for music can help to do that. And, and not only that can help start the healing process, you know, music can be cathartic. And so these people, the Purple Hat community, Alicia, BC, Michelle McGrath, JV, Wit, Trey, I got together with those folks and I said, hey, this is what we need to do. We need to 
do something to remember Rachel, but we also need to do something for ourselves and each other to help help us move forward, help us to try to make something positive out of something so incredibly negative. And so we organized the first Purple Hatters Ball, and, and that event did happen on Lyle Williams's property where the first Bear Creek was supposed to happen. It was the only event that ever happened at Lyle's property, and it was incredibly special. I don't know that we that when we started it that we knew that we would do it for as many years as we did, but the first one was so special that we said, you know what, we need to do this next year too. Let's, you know, we need to to remember this story. We need to ma- try to make people aware of the tragedy and to make to do everything that possible to make sure that this kind of thing never happened again. And rest assured, it still happens. But through through our efforts, we became close with Rachel's mother, Mar- Margie. We helped support Margie as she worked with legislatures in Florida to pass the Rachel Law, which I think was the first time anywhere in the country that there had been a law implemented for um, to regulate the use of undercover informants. And in her daughter's memory, Margie is part of peaceful gatherings like the Purple Hatter's Ball that represents her sweet daughter's soul. And I think if we could establish a bridge between society that's being harmed and law enforcement that's trying to protect them and weed out those individuals who bend the rules or they have no rules to guide them, we'll have a much better world. Margie's lectured and to people and told the story and, you know, incredibly bravely, the worst possible thing happened to Margie and her daughter that you could imagine ever happening to a parent, but she's marched forward with grace and dignity and has tried to take that terrible loss and use it to do good in the world. And, you know, it's been a labor of love for me to help Margie. I named my company Purple Hat Productions because of Rachel to carry her memory forward in everything that I do, you know, that our efforts have done good. And and I'm very proud of all that we accomplished through that festival and helping our community and of the people that we knew and people that we didn't know to move forward and to, and to grow and to learn. 15 years ago, the Tallahassee community and the Florida community also had another unthinkable tragedy. We lost our friend Rachel Hoffman in an undercover drug sting that went wrong. But through her mother, Mama Margie, and through our friends and the people we love through the festival community, we still keep Rachel's memory alive. I want to welcome, I want to welcome Mama Margie, Rachel's mother, who's still the leader of this community. Mama Margie, everybody. Coming to know Mama Margie and through Purple Hatter's Ball and the park and yourself and the ceremonial, you know, butterfly relief that would take place at the end of every Purple Hatter's Ball and it's recently continued at Resonate. You know, her memory is is still in everybody's heart. 
Uh, like I said, there was Cameron's recent documentary film, another person, Cameron, who I met at Swanee, who took it upon herself to tell the story in a different way. And that's just a microcosm of what I'm talking about. The, in a world of commodified music festivaling as a business, Swanee has maintained community through it all. Large scale events like Hula, small scale events like a Purple Hatters or, you know, Spring Reunion or you name it. So, man, there's so much we could talk about. I feel like we didn't even touch into your pre-Swanee era, Aspen, Dead Tour. But I do want to do one in person with you down the road just because it's a cooler hang. So maybe we'll save the Paul Levine full career arc for an in-person chat when the stars align. Uh, that sounds that sounds fun. And, you know, uh, whether we're on a pod or just on a phone call, I'm, I'm always uh, looking forward to, to to the conversation. Likewise, man. And, and I almost feel bad because I really I made this outline and there's a bunch of stuff we didn't touch. Um, but at the same time, this is going to come out right before the 10th Hula. And it's very park focused. And I don't want to give short thrift to the, you know, 20 ish years of your career and life experiences that you had before you got to the park. So I feel like rather than try to squeeze that into 10 minutes, let's save it. We'll do it on the um, next one. Well, you know, this, this hour and a half flew by pretty quick. It did. It really did, man. But when you're talking to a friend and you're talking about life we lived and people we love and all the stuff in between, it just, that's just how it happens, man. I always say like, oh, I'm going to squeeze this into an hour. And it never, never works. And it's not like I'd want to sacrifice anything that we talked about. So uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there love to hear from you, uh, especially relative to all the events at Swanee and your unique positioning to all the things. So I am so grateful for 90 minutes of your time. I can't wait to see you. I just want to say thank you for everything, the podcast, all your efforts, our deep friendship, your relationship with my wife, which predates my own by several years and all the benevolent shit you do uh, that nobody talks about, but we know it and we love you. Thanks B. Appreciate your time very much. This is fun. Yes, indeedy. Deep bow of gratitude and eternal thanks to my dear friend Paul Levine for that lengthy, illuminating, enlightening, heartwarming uh, conversation. We have those all the time, we just never record them. But as you can tell, truly a dear friend and instrumental in so many ways for so many people on stage, off stage, in the crowd, you know, staff and production. And Paul is just the glue. And uh, it's been a long and winding road, and we touched on a lot of it. And that was just uh, some fantastic shit. So thank you, 
everybody that tuned in. As I promised in the intro, uh, we're going to do, I'm going to do, my picks for Huloween 2023, uh, the 10th Hula. And now I want to say off the top, there's no slight to anybody that I don't mention. This is just my tastes and curiosity. Um, It's not a reflection of, of who's dope and who's not dope. Art is subjective, as Chuck D just told me the other day. Uh, so let's just roll with it and not catch feelings if your favorites weren't mentioned or whatever. And yes, it is String Cheese's festival. And as I mentioned to Paul and into much respect for throwing the party every year, thank you for the foundation for Halloween. But no, there will be no queso in my picks. So with that said, it's going to be kind of uneven, a lot on a couple days and only a few on a couple days, Uh, but I'm going to go through my picks uh, one by one. And the first take I did of this was 24 minutes, so let's hope I can cut that in half because, uh, you know, your time's valuable and we just had a long conversation with Paul. So I'm going to get right into it. I also want to say that there are really amazing renegade DJ parties, sound camps out in the woods. This didn't used to be kosher. I can recall the Mala at an early Bear Creek or Purple Headers Ball. I'm going to say it's Bear Creek, you know, getting run off their, their own set and kicked out of the festival. What was hilarious about that is that one of, I think the cat's name is Brandon. Uh, he like set up the sound so it was just going. There was nobody on stage, but it was full volume. And the staff at Swanee and the Rangers or whatever they are were flummoxed and perplexed to say the least. But so now that the fact that renegades go on till four or five in the morning at full volume uh, is just markedly different from the old school Swanee scene. And that kind of illuminates the evolution of the park culture and festivals there, right there. So you'll find me out in the woods at all hours. I always love to hear what cats are putting down out there. I find myself asking the DJs for IDs or occasionally shazamming something if I have a signal. I've gotten turned on to a lot of dope shit out in those woods. Without any further ado, Halloween 2023 picks Thursday, which is kind of like the pre-party, but it's a it doesn't have the main stage, but it's got a full lineup. Uh, and uh, I got to start with the Twinsies, the Super Homies, MZG, Zach and Charles Weinert, hometown, uh, they're, they're born and bred in North Florida, Jacksonville, and and really planted the flag mzg flag at swanee and really at Halloween. and now they're in denver and they're doing big things and they're putting out like a new track every month maybe even more frequently than that anytime they pop up on my social and it's just the two twins heads just bop into their new song honestly like i fanboy out so hard i stand for the twinsies unabashedly so you can find me up in the mix uh, MZG 630 to 730 Spirit Lake. It's such a throwdown, such a party when the twins play the park. I'll also be checking out a little bit of Blondish on uh, the amphitheater stage. Uh, house music, pretty cool. Uh, saw her play Robot Heart years ago. 
at Burning Man. But uh, also be going to J-Rad, Joe Russo's Almost Dead, playing two sets, 8.45 to 10 and 10.30 to 12, midnight at the Hallow stage. Um, and that's pretty much my picks for Thursday. I'll also probably check out a little Sodown uh, and Enzo against Blondish, and probably also a little bit of Boogie T and John Summit against J-Rad set two. Um, yeah, I'm going to pull the plug on Thursday there. Let's get into Friday. Shomer Shabbos at Swanee Halloween. Doesn't get any better. My bestest, bestie, best friend in the world, Maria Tambien, who I met at the park. I might have said so earlier in the Paul intro. Uh, back in 2010, she's coming back as a artist for the first time. Uh, we are beyond excited for this. I, I can't really, I, I struggle to find the words to express my stoke for Maria opening up the amphitheater stage 215 on Friday, Shomer Shabbos. Uh, you know, she's been my, like my rock from then till now. She lives out here in Northern California. Uh, we do almost everything together. She's kind of the third wheel to the tricycle with me and my wife, Alicia. And, uh, I can't say enough about Maria Tambien. She plays like sexy deep house with like a world feel, lots of percussion, you know, uh, totally my vibe. And I am biased. I'm also biased about Vlad the Inhaler, who plays from 3 to 4 p.m. on the Spirit Lake stage. Vlad plays all kinds of styles of dance music, mostly like bass, juke, dubstep, a little. Not really dubstep, I should say. Bass, juke, uh, and and versions of hip-hop. Just real danceable shit. He's, he's, a, he's like a utility infielder. He can do it all. Johnny on the spot. He's also one of the best dudes I know. Also a Jacksonville cat. Um, both Maria and Vlad played the wedding, my wedding after party in the woods at Swanee, just to, to give you an idea of the, the fam as fuck vibes going on here. And then right after Vlad, also in Spirit Lake, is Rohan Solo. And Rohan uh, Solo is the electronic project of Rohan, the drummer from Hive Mind, which is a really cool young band coming out of the ATL. And their bassist, uh, Dave McSweeney, is also a dear friend and a super Swanee homie. And uh, I got hip to Rohan through Dave. And just Rohan's just a really impressive cat all the way around. And uh, I caught a couple songs of his, like, just on the pass-by at the campground stage, maybe like one or two hulas ago. But I'm going to be at the full set uh, at 4.15 at Spirit Lake on Friday. Uh, to, so shout out to, you know, all the cats. Uh, hive mind cats david dollar on the keys dan cox on guitar and dave on bass and rohan is the drummer and he also brings a lot of like percussion stuff into his electronic project so and then from that we got a little bit of a, like an hour breather and then the mighty let let us only get an hour on the hollow stage which is all that any band plays the house stage gets and the producers and curators ahula paul berg etc they know what they're doing i would obviously prefer more let I would prefer them on the amphitheater stage, but we get that at like Resonate, Swanee Rising, etc. I'm stoked that Lettuce plays Hula every year, and they'll be playing a Sunset set, which is pretty fucking cool, on the Hallows uh, at 6.30. And then at 9 o'clock, uh, on that same stage, we've got Claypool, 
uh, Fearless Flying Frog Brigade. And I go way back. I made a post the other day about when I saw them after Fish in Vegas in 2000. I probably saw like 15 Frog Brigade shows between Gathering of the Vibes 2000 and 2004 or so, 2005. Um, so I love those cats. Skerrick's back in the mix. Mike Dillon. Uh, both of those cats have been on this pod. We love the Colonel. Sean Lennon, the Curveball. I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, return of the Frog Brigade because I haven't seen one of the shows on this tour. It just hasn't lined up with my schedule. Uh, immediately following that is Trey, Trey Band, Tab, returning to the park. They played Bear Creek in 2011. I know they've played other events, maybe Wani or something, uh, at the park before. Nonetheless, this is the first time I'll get to see Tab since James passed. Uh, James Casey, who I spoke about at length earlier in the pod. So looking forward to that. My wife really wanted me to mention more Kismet. Uh, they're, they are playing 930 to 1045 at Spirit Lake. Ooh, and I, I missed Kiva. Rewind. So more Kismet at 930 to 1045, uh, which is during Trey a little bit. So we'll probably check out both. We get two hours of Trey, so we can check out a little more Kismet. Also, Eprom plays the second half of Trey, and I do love Eprom. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of a pile up there at the ten to midnight on Friday. But I want to backtrack to Kiva, K H I V A. Kiva, she's a uh, amazing bass dub, just technician. She sings on top of her creations. I'm a big fan of Kiva, and I will definitely be there. Lastly, for Friday, Shomer Shabbos. My boys, La Special. Low-key could be the set of the fest. Well, I'm already at 12 minutes and just finishing Friday. Uh, La Special, amazing. They debuted at Hula last year. They just put out their new record, Odd Times, just a couple of weeks ago. I wrote a feature on it on Live for Live Music. Check that out. And honestly, there's no better time slot for them than the middle of the night. They're heavy. They're dark. They're foreboding. They're ethereal. They're spooky. They're good. They're going to fucking bring it. And I cannot wait to see La Special on Spirit Lake in full bloom. Shout out to my man, Justin JB, who's the creative director of Spirit Lake this year. It's his debut in this role. So between La Special playing at, you know, that hour and what Justin JB has planned, um, I'm just beyond stoked for that whole scene and experience there. So shout out to the homies and the special, their album from 2020 ancient homies is one of my favorite albums, any genre over the past half decade. It's, it's no slight to odd times. It just came out, which is also fantastic, but ancient homies is like fucking scripture. Let's get into Saturday. Okay. Saturday also kind of jammed up. I'll try to be a little bit more expeditious with my picks from here on out. Starting with Electric Keef out of South Florida. They're playing uh, The Hallows at 2 p.m. Uh, I love those cats. They just did a track with Deitch, a Herbie cover, Actual Proof, which they kind of like fusionified and dillified. It's super dope. But I've been hip to them way before Adam collaborated with them. They've played the park events for years, played late nights in the woods. Uh, all my South Florida homies, Matt and Destiny Beck, love them. Aaron Schwartz, Angela Schwartz, love them. Stephen Gottlieb loves them. The, the Keefe, uh, I'm picking up what they're putting down. Right after the Keefe, on the main stage, 3 o'clock, Jennifer Hartswick Band, The Majesty, The Empress, the, the royal essence of Ms. Jennifer Hartswick. Uh, she's bringing the Jennifer Hartswick Band, which I suspect will have some members of the Nth Power involved. 
Uh, she'll obviously still be there from the night before when Trey Band played. I'm not suggesting he's going to stick around and play, but I will say that that's going to be an incredible set. People are really high on Funk You. I'm not that familiar, but I am going to Curious George my way over to the Hallows at 4 and check that out. Also check out uh, Cadillac Jones, old school Swanee group uh, that I've been seeing since Bear Creek, but haven't seen in John knows how many years. Uh, they're at 4.30 on the campground stage, which is a small stage adjacent to uh, Spirit Lake stage. Um, also, going to check out a little bit of Empire Strikes Brass. It, it sounds exactly what the fuck you think it sounds like. Um, and then one of my also low-key possible best sets of the fest, Sunset on the Amp Lab Group. As you can maybe tell, I've been playing Lab Group while I'm doing this segment. I love me some Lab Group. Um, founded by Charles I and his homies like Super Task and Potions. Um, and they have some other like kind of honorary members uh, that contribute. But Lab Group, uh, rest in peace to Charles. They're just dope. Uh, psychedelic, ethereal, sexy, vibey bass music. And, and in the best place I like to enjoy music, uh, the most glorious environs of the amphitheater stage at sunset. Lab group Saturday 6:15. I'll be there. I'll follow that up uh, with a split. Domi and JD Beck at 8:30 on the Hallows stage. I love them. I would go to the whole set, except I've seen them probably almost 10 times in the past three years. They're just getting booked everywhere, and and I love them. But I'm also going to mosey back over to the amp to see a little bit of Manic Focus live band because that's kind of like a tradition over there, and there's always some cool sit-ins, and Manic Focus is pretty cool and. Uh, He's, he's like a hula mainstay, so it's just kind of part of the part of the vibe. Um, Smino and Big Wild go head-to-head on, on Hallows and, and uh, The Amp at 11 p.m. Uh, I'll probably Curious George my way between those two. Smino is in like the J.I.D. slot. Um, always like to see some hip-hop booked at hula. And then we get Pretty Lights, midnight to 2 a.m. on Saturday night. What more can I say, to quote the great Sean Carter, Jay-Z? Uh, Pretty Lights has literally leveled the fuck up. Uh, I've never heard anything like what they're doing right now, what Derek and his team have put together. Uh, I've been streaming just about every show on this tour, and I'm not a Pretty Lights stan. I do not rock the jib. I do not have 17 pins on my hat. I do not encephalate face drugs in the middle of the dance floor, but I love what's going on with pretty lights on stage right now um it's like electronic jam band of like that's really never been attempted or executed before never mind all the visual accompaniments and the state-of-the-art technology and the old school you know instrumentation i mean it's 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 all the things and i've been transfixed every time i've uh watched one of the twitch streams so trust i'll be there every last note of those two hours and then ghost note no pun intended 2 to 4 a.m spirit lake much like the special the night before that's going to be the place to be you know it's going to be a a funky throwdown of preposterous proportions those dudes are cyborgs and uh, i have no doubt that they're going to bring it on a level that you rarely see at spirit lake uh certainly at halloween because uh 
you know, the funk, while present, is not dominant. So when the lettuces and the ghost notes get a chance, they break out the sledgehammer. And uh, that's my vibe. Oh, yeah, if you hear in the background, that's Tie-Dye Kai, kind of like an honorary member of Lab Group, but he's like acoustic guitar love songs, dude. Paul Berg, get familiar. Tie-Dye Kai, Hula 24. You heard it here first. Um, let's get into Sunday, the Lord's Day, the last day. Um, I expect Saturday night to be like uh, one of those playthrough situations for your boy. I'm definitely going to 4 a.m. with Ghost Note, and then who knows what's happening in those woods once we spill out of that. So I, I'm going to sleep in, and I really don't anticipate going to see music until 2.15 to see Vale on the Spirit Lake stage. Vale uh, is Philly, born and bred, Becca Sue. She is the woman behind Street Ritual Records. She used to perform as Space Geisha. She transitioned to Vale. She plays really heavy, dark, sexy, gothy, dubstep, and bass music. It's going to be weird at 2.15 p.m., but I'll be there to support Illidels Illist. Shout out, Becca. Love you, girl. Um, after that, uh, I think I'm going to be like a social butterfly and maybe like go shopping for a while. There's not a whole lot that interests me the rest of uh, Sunday afternoon. I am going to be curious about Mount Joy. A lot of my friends really like Mount Joy, so uh, I'll put that in the maybe column. Same for Sneezy. A lot of my peeps like Sneezy. Uh, I'm not that familiar, but I will be at the second Pretty Light set, 6.30 to 8 p.m., which is instead of Rainbow Kitten Surprise, who canceled and were unable to make it. I already told you how I feel about Pretty Light, so I'll definitely be there. That's 6.30 p.m. on the Meadow, the main stage. And then, again... Paul Levine's greasy mitts all over the end of Hula 2023. Uh, closing down the Spirit Lake stage, the Nth Power presents the Genth Power. Honestly, this might be the set I'm most excited about. Uh, or on the metal podium with Le Special and Lab Group and Lettuce. I know that means there's four medals, so I guess that's Mount Rushmore. Whatever. The Genth Power, Okay. Uh, Jen is responsible for bringing the Nth Power together. The the origin story was they became Jen's backing band, and it felt so good they had to do their own thing. And that's an extreme cliff notes, but that's what the fuck happened. So for Paul to be able to uh, bring the cats back together, not all of them, but most of them, in such an environment at such a Sunday night at Hula after all the crazy, the sort of uh, the come down. But it won't be a come down. It's going to be a dance party. And speaking of dance parties, the last music to play will be Eddie Roberts and the Lucky Strikes. At uh, oh, by the way, the Genth Power is at nine to ten thirty, and then from ten to eleven fifteen is Eddie and the Lucky Strokes. I call them Strikes. Lucky Strokes. Uh, that's Eddie's new band with uh, some folks from south of the Mason Dixon line, the Gale Braith sisters, um, bass and drums respectively, and Shelby Kemp on guitar and vocals and trusty Chris Spees on the keys. And, uh, you know, it's not what you think from Eddie. It's real bluesy, southern, greasy, boogie, but he's still ripping the hell out of that hollow body guitar. And I really love this band. I love their new record on Color Red. Shout out to Leah at Color Red for putting me onto that. I saw Eddie and the Lucky Strokes twice at Jazz Fest. Came away stoked. So I think uh, the Genth Power into Eddie and the Lucky Strokes is like 
perfect curation by the great Paul Levine to, to disembark from the monumental 10th Halloween. Um, I'm really proud of these cats uh, for putting this together and for doing it every year and for steadily raising the bar in one way or another, artistically, musically, community. Uh, Halloween's really special. Um, and I think evidenced by that is the fact that I go every year and I'm not even a cheese fan. So hats off to String Cheese, hats off to Paula Vine, hats off to Michael Berg, Satyra Anderson, and Joanne Isaac, and everybody I know that is a part of the of the thing that makes Halloween happen. Love y'all. Um, I'm going to wrap it up now like we always do about this time with the Vibe Junkie Jam. Now, normally I play something that's uh, affiliated with the the guest or the topic du jour, but how do I pick a song from everyone at uh, Halloween, right? And and then if I play a, a band of a tribute to Paul, you know, then the other bands will be like, what the hell? I thought we were your band, Paul. So I'm actually going to make it personal, and I'm going to play the song by my boy, Scott T. Now, you may, who's that? It sounds familiar. I played his... Uh, workshop his his basically like quasi ted talk where he discussed the the roots and history and spiritual and natural everything about the spirit of swanee it's a workshop that he's done a couple times at halloween and on an episode with neil francis from last year i uh or maybe it was two years ago now whatever it is it'll be in the show notes uh, a link to hear him talk about uh the history and and lineage of the spirit of Swanee and the Swanee River and the land that we all congregate on. But the Vibe Junkie Jam is going to be his new song where he's playing piano and singing and he put together a band. It's called Get Back to the River. Um, may or may not be the Swanee River. Uh, I feel like a lot of my people probably don't even know this artist or that he makes music and some of you that do probably don't know that he's come back to music after some time away and poetry and all different endeavors. He's found his way back to music. Uh, he's really a drummer uh, in some ways, but now he's a, he's kind of like Dylan in that way, where he like he plays this or that, but he's really just a song guy. And there's a lot of Dylan-esque energy in the song I'm about to play, kind of like Wilco and Dylan, really earthy um, folk with a slight rock edge. So... Hope I turned you on to something cool. I think it's appropriate because Scott is somebody who's closely uh, interwoven in my Swanee experience. Uh, we've been to the park many times together to frolic as music fans. And uh, also, he married me and Alicia at the park on November 11th, 22. So I think it's appropriate for him to be the Vibe Junkie Jam at the end of episode 71 with the great Paul Levine. I want to thank everybody who tuned in, who listened. I talked for another 25 minutes. I guess this is just how it's got to be. So love y'all. Goodbye. Job bless. And I'll see you on the banks of the Swanee River or the next episode. Yes, indeedy.
Kate's in California Always talking about her home Says I'll leave behind this land of weed and wine And get back to where I belong Lucy lives in New York But she loves a Florida creek Says I'm sick of the snow and being alone Gotta get back to within your reach Get back to the river Get back to the shore Been too long since I heard that song What did I leave there for? Aphrodite ain't never wrong Saying this ain't the place Always closing her eyes when caught in disguise now she gone just to save her face Tammy Faye living on the farm Dreaming of those city lights Trading these hills for some neon thrills Gonna do what daddy said ain't right Show!